Hello again, this is Buck Penning speaking. Welcome to another episode of Zero Hour with our host Rod Serling. And today we're going to feature actor Earl Holloman in our five-part story. And we'll present all five parts today. Um, Earl Holloman has a history with Rod Serling in that Earl Holloman was in the original pilot for uh, The Twilight Zone. And some people are going to debate that in that you might say the original pilot for The Twilight Zone was on the Desilu Playhouse. Um, But in reality, uh, that was a script that could have turned into The Twilight Zone, but it didn't, and then... Later, when they revisited the Twilight Zone concept, they uh, shot another pilot, which was the one with Earl Holloman, and a really great pilot episode uh, that would be worthwhile in watching the town with nobody in it, and uh, and what their uh, what Earl Holloman's character goes through is pretty amazing and well done. And Earl Holloman has a special place for genre fans in that he plays in that episode, and of course this episode is Zero Hour, plus he was in the original template, I suppose folks say for Star Trek, The Forbidden Planet, in 1956. And he, to me, it's a very stiff-feeling film, but his character is the most human and... Uh, with the human foibles and things that uh, that we all have, and I think he really lends a humanity to that film that it could that it really needed, and uh, so I really enjoy his part uh, as the cook uh, that's on the uh, original Forbidden Planet. But he was in some amazing films. He was in Giant, with uh, which was of course uh, the very last film for James Dean and uh, featured uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson as his co, as the co-leads, and then uh, in a lesser part was Earl Holloman. And then Earl Holloman was also in The Sons of Katie Elder, which was, of course, a John Wayne film with Dean Martin. And he had a fairly large role in that film in that he was one of the, one of the actual sons of Katie Elder. So... Um, uh, an interesting film for you to watch too. So he had he has quite the film career. He was in some uh, some really interesting films, and then quite the television career as well, uh, with some uh, success in the uh, television field as well, for sure. Uh, lots of guest starring roles. Uh, lots of he was in leads in, in various um, television projects. I believe his first one was. Uh, a western sort of rodeo show uh, in 19 early 1960s and then one of his later ones was and well one in the middle was a uh, police woman he was uh, one of the main actors in police woman and uh, with Andrew Dickinson and then later in 1997 to 1999 he had his another uh, series that he was in so he has been a very um, prolific and uh, enduring actor that's been in a lot of series over the years. Uh, anyway, I hope you're going to enjoy his work tonight. It's, I, I really enjoy this episode of Twilight Zone. 
it's an interesting one, and um, Twilight Zone of Zero Hour. <laughs> anyway, it's a great one. Um, I think uh, I just love. Th- I've been re- enjoying Elliot Lewis's um, bringing us these Zero Hours plus the Sears Radio Theater we bring you throughout the week, uh, mixed with his on stage that we played uh, last year. Uh, that he did in the 50s, and these are three just amazing, uh, and amazingly different uh, series that he did that all have wonderful um, stories, and they're complex, and they are uh, unique series in and of themselves. They're all different from each other, and yet all have this quality that goes through them, this... um, this wonderful, high-quality uh, achievement that he's done. And Elliot Lewis, amazing. Amazing um, producer, director, actor, the whole ball of wax. Anyway, enjoy tonight's episode of Zero Hour, and we will see you next week. We only have well, a few more. I think there's four more left or something like that. Tonight's is stereo, so I'd put on my headsets if I were you to listen to it in stereo. It's kind of fun having one speaker, one uh, actor speak to you in one speaker and another one in the other, and sound effects going on in one speaker and voices in the other sometimes and so forth. Uh, Anyway, enjoy tonight's episode. The Hollywood Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday... A J.M. Colas Enterprises production, The Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, The Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Stanton Forbes' bizarre retrospective tale of entanglement. If two of them are dead. Starring Earl Holland. Catherine Burns. And Nina Foch as Sister Mark. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. This week, our story takes place in Midwest America, the Depression years. A lonely farmhouse in which three people come together under desperate circumstances. We are about to meet teenage Dorcas Kimball, her malformed leg a symbol of her bitter life of loneliness and deprivation. Joe John Plunkett, a young hobo, cynical beyond his years, resigned to empty days and nights of aimless wandering. His only goals in life, his next bed, his next meal. And the beautiful evangelist, Sister Magdalene Love, Filled with godly zeal and cold, worldly ambition. 
three people joined by fate in an old house already occupied by violence and sudden death. Their story, if two of them are dead, begins after this word. Picture this. A string of freight cars crossing a dusty stretch of lonely farmland. Suddenly, the dark silhouette of a man hurtles in the train, dropping hard into the sharp cinders of the railroad bed. The man gets to his feet, slaps the dust from his clothes, finds where his bundle has landed and picks it up. The bundle contains all the man's worldly possessions, an extra shirt, some underwear and socks, a straight-edged razor and a worn leather case, and a small packet of letters addressed to Joe John Plunkett. At this moment, Joe John Plunkett is a hungry man, and a hungry man is ready to do just about anything to put some food in his belly. It was Plunkett luck, all right. I could see that at a glance. At second glance, anyway. First, when I saw that big tent flapping in the wind in the field across the road, I thought, carnival, rides and games, work and food. But uh-uh. Soul food's what it turned out to be. Soul food for suckers. A revival meeting tent. People with nothing to put in their stomachs must be sitting ducks for some Bible thumper. Well, you deliver me. Now a dog. When you're a stranger, everywhere you go, dogs are poison. Probably take a hunk out of my only pair of pants. Get away, you little mutt. Tippy? Come back here, Tippy. Yeah, Tippy. Be a good pooch of ham spray, will you? Take her with you. I'm not in the mood for conversation with the farmer's daughter. Or anything else. Especially with some skinny little... I'm sorry about Tippy. But she won't hurt you. She just likes to bark. Little dogs are like that. They think they got to stand up to anything that moves. Yeah, well, I was just moving on. You're walking all the way into town. You're looking for work. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Well, what do I have to do for it? Something I can see that by the look of her. Edgy and eager. I'd seen people who looked like that before. They wanted something bad. You any good with a jigsaw? Uh, building things with your hands? I don't plan on settling down here. You see them things over there? Little painted windmills and wooden statues of Uncle Sam? My pa makes them to sell. Only he took sick. Tuberculosis. He had to go to the sanitarium. I need somebody to make some more. It ain't too hard. And and you have a place to sleep and something in your stomach. I don't cook so bad. How old are you? Seventeen. What happened to your leg? Infantile paralysis. But it don't hold me back now. You all alone in the place with your paw gone? That's right. I need somebody to help me. Just for a little while. You don't have to stay long. You're nuts. Ready to take any old hobo that comes along, huh? There's nobody else I could ask. You'll do it then, mister? 
I told you I'm hungry. Who's right? It was crazy taking in a strange tramp off the road. And looking into his face, I could see there was violence in him. Only for a second back there when he asked me about my leg, I felt generous too. And a violent, gentle man's just what I need. Anyway, I can't stand being alone no more with Pa out here. Reckon I don't know your name. Joe John Plunkett. Mine's Dorcas, Dorcas Kimball. Where are your folks? Dead. And if questions come with this job, forget it. I was just being friendly. Ain't had nobody to talk to all to for two old days now. Except Tippy, of course. Shut up, Tippy. This here's Joe John Plunkett. He's come to help us. I cook the meal pretty good, don't I? Well, the man half starves, no judge. Never got no word out of Pa about my cooking either. He was always too liquored up. Where's your mom? Yeah, a long time. Well, uh, I'll go out and take a look at things in your Paul's workshop. See what I can do. You've been to lots of places, I expect. A few. Ever been to Hollywood or New York? Places like that. No. Hollywood's got palm trees and sunshine. All pink and gold, that's the way I see Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I was never in any pink and gold cities. New York is silver and black velvet. All the cities I've ever seen were the same color. Gray. Gray and cold as a tombstone. I'm going out to the workshop. I'll owe you the price of one square meal at least. I guess you've seen the revival meeting tent down the road? I saw it. I don't want you to do no work in my pa's workshop. What do you want me to do? Take me to the revival meeting tonight. I've been wanting to go, and Pa wouldn't let me. Your Pa's not here now. You're free to do what you please. I'd be too scared by myself, all those people looking at me. Want to see Sister Love. Well, I remember what it said on the sign outside the tent. At tonight's service, there will be a special call for the lame and the halt. It's funny, I'd forgotten about her leg. But I didn't suppose she ever forgot it. Only I didn't see me escorting a cripple to a hallelujah meeting. But I'd like to have upchucked the whole damn supper and canceled all debts. Brother, you got into debt so easy. And there was nobody to remind you how hard it is to pay. Nobody. I want to see Sister Love. Sister Love? What, a lady advances? I've seen her picture. She's beautiful. And you think she can make your leg whole again? I didn't say that. You're crippled. You may as well learn to live with it. I am, ain't I? He couldn't hurt me. Didn't matter what he said. I was just so glad he was here. I wasn't alone anymore, just sitting and thinking about everything over and over. The thought about going to the church meeting, I hadn't planned that at all. I'd just seen the lights gone over at the tent. Seen them when he opened the back door to go out. They put the lights on nearly to attract people. 
And the thought just came to me like it was printed inside my head. Go to church and ask forgiveness. What a strange little girl. Asking a whole lot of questions, offering answers I couldn't quite believe. And then when she was saying nothing at all, just staring out from behind those green, green eyes. You thinking about your paw dying? What? You had a look on your face. He could, you know. Tuberculosis is serious, isn't it? Yes. Only there's something worse than Pa dying. It's how he wasted his life. Drinking and ain't nothing in a place like this. He never got anything from living. How do you know? I know. That's not for you to say. That's never for anybody else to say. You're going to take me to that meeting, aren't you? What do you want to go to it for if you don't believe in it? I don't believe in anything. But I want to believe in something. So, okay. I'm going to take the woodcarver's daughter over to get blessed by the lady evangelist. Well, there wasn't a hell of a lot to ask. The meal wasn't that great, but to a hungry man, it was ambrosia. Ambrosia. There's a word. That's one of my mother's words. How do a woman who use words like ambrosia ever get mixed up with somebody like my old man? <laughs> I should talk. A real riding bum. Ambrosia was a worthless hunk of language, and a tramp like me was a worthless hunk of humanity. I think my dress is okay. I've never thought of the Lord as caring much about what people wore. Anyway, it's the only decent thing I got. Okay, with you if I wash out my shirt. Sure, you can hang it on the clothesline out in back. There's clothespins in the bag. I'll wear my good spare. I don't figure the Lord is fussy, but maybe your sister love is. It was hard to believe. That deserted tent I'd seen earlier was now alive with humanity. There was even a string of cars and trucks backed up along the road. Their headlights formed an arrow pointing the way to sister love and salvation. Every night I watch them come. So many people. There'll be some places down in front. If you want a place to sit, we better get inside. Come on, people are always strange about sitting in the first row. Well, you want to see her good, don't you? Come on. Welcome, Sister Love. Thank you. Read your pamphlet. It tells you all about the legend of Sister Magdalene Love. Yeah, I'll wait and see her for myself. Looking around, I thought I was already seeing her. That old lady with the faded blue eyes waving a paper fan into her flushed face. And the young man stumbling down the aisle on crutches. And the women in wheelchairs and the men hobbling on canes and all the others. <laughs> yeah, they were the lame and the halt. Broken in body and twisted in soul. large illuminated cross above the stage had just come on. A double line of young women in purple dresses and solemn-faced young men in shiny white suits and purple bow ties filed under it in precise formation. 
I, I had the feeling the minstrel show was about to begin when a white-bearded man in a white satin tuxedo made his entrance. He looked like the interlocutor. Look, there's Brother Love. It says in the pamphlet, he's her uncle. Both her parents were killed in a bus wreck down in Tennessee, and Sister Love prophesied it before it happened. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Sister Love welcomes you, and let us return her welcoming prayer. That prayer that will shake the heavens. Let us pray. And now, our brothers and sisters, I hear. Oh, yes, I hear. Sister Love is coming. Enter, Sister Love. Love, enter. While we are held in thine embrace, there's not a thought attempts to rove. Each smile upon thy beauteous face fixes and charms and fires our love. So that was Sister Magdalene Love. A face like carved ivory. Violet eyes. And red gold hair like a halo of flame around her head. Standing tall and queen-like in a flowing purple robe. But you know, it was the expression in her face that held you. Now that was a look you knew you'd never forget. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Lord... How secure and blessed are they who feel the joys of pardoned sin. Should storms of wrath shake earth and sea, their minds have heaven and peace within. Amen. Amen. The sweetly o'er their heads, made up of innocence and love, and soft and silent as the shades, their nightly minutes gently move. Amen. While they're wretched, like worms and moles, lie groveling in the dust below. Almighty grace, renew their souls, and they'll aspire to glory too. Amen. Amen. Dear brothers, dear sisters, what a comfort it is to look out on your faces. As you know, we have been in this place of Sodom and Gomorrah for five nights now. And each evening we welcome more lost sheep back into the Even Dorcas lifted her head and turned around sharply. The man was sitting across the aisle in the road just behind us. He was big and rough-looking, unshaven, and plainly drunk. Sister Love was staring down at him. The look in her eyes seemed to grow softer instead of harder. You are troubled, dear brother. Yes, Look, Sister Love's coming down off the stage. Walking like a queen, Magdalene Love came down that aisle toward that heckler. The big man staggered to his feet. Let me help you, brother. And that's when it happened. As Sister Love reached out to the man, he drew back his arm to hit her. Now, I was sure he was going to hit her, and that's why I did it. I bolted from my seat, I shoved Sister Love out of the way, and I sent that drunk crash into the floor of the house. Hey, hey, as soon as I did it, I knew I'd made a mistake. Oh, boy, a bad mistake. When you're a stranger in a place, there's one rule to remember. Never do anything to call attention to yourself. It always means trouble. And right about then, I knew I'd gotten me some... Some big trouble. I was right about the violence in Joe John. 
Well, he jumped up and slugged that man. Don't happen so fast. Jojo, are you all right? Just sit back down, Dorcas. Everything's okay. It's a bad habit of mine. But anywhere, I got no business. Yeah, but he's taking that man away. He's as liquored up as my pa ever was. Now, everything is all right, brothers and sisters. Now, just return to your seats and let us pray for that unfortunate sinner. Now, those of you whose bodies are tortured and maimed, but who wish to cleanse and purify your souls, come forward that Sister Love may lay her hands upon you and give you the healing of her blessing. Ye sons of men, the feeble race, Exposed to every snare, come make the Lord your dwelling place and try and trust his care. This is what you came here for, isn't it? Aren't you going up there? No. Come on, let's get out of here. Ah, there you are, boy. I've been waiting for you. It was that fat deputy who'd taken the drunk away. Well, I knew I was in trouble. Every time I move, I'm in trouble. Hey, what's your name, boy? Joe John Plunkett. Where do you live? We live just up the road. Oh, you, uh, related? We're cousins. First cousins. Joe John just came to stay a while with me and my pa. Pretty good with your fists, ain't you, Joe John? Uh, <clears throat> not so good. I just... Took him by surprise. You know, he was drunk. I thought he was going to hit her. I want to thank you, brother. She came out of the shadows behind us with that burning halo around her head. Her voice thanking me sounded soft and sincere, only I, I caught a glint of something else in those violet eyes of hers. Something that told me she hated my guts for what I'd just done. Hush up, Tico. It's only us. No way the deputy can find out I was lying, even if he comes around asking more questions. He might get to wondering where your pa is. Well, I'll just explain to him about the sanitarium, that's all. And what if he decided to check up on that? He won't. Besides, Sister Love told him to leave you be, and you heard her. She even sent Brother Love to get that drunk out of jail. Yeah. Sister Love seems to be overflowing with brotherly love, all right. So you can stay here as long as you want now, and you won't get in any trouble. Well, I can use a good night's sleep. I'll go that far. I was just thinking, maybe you'd like something to drink first. There's some of my pa's homebrew. It's in the cyclone cellar. Well, I could use a drink for sure. I'll get you the flashlight. I was still trying to figure Dorcas Kimball out. Now, whatever it was she wanted out of me, she was still leading up to it. Yes, you can go down and bring up as much as you want. Well, I sure didn't need that flashlight outside. The moon was full and the stars looked like they went on forever. I crossed the yard to the cellar door. So heavy, I wondered how dark it's ever managed to open it. Yeah, the cellar was dark. I turned on the flashlight and started down. Yeah. 
then I saw what Dorcas Kimball had sent me down here to find. The dead body of her paw. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense. If two of them are dead, I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Stanton Forbes, If Two of Them Are Dead, was adapted for radio by Shirley Gordon. Earl Holloman is Joe John. Catherine Burns is Dorcas. And Nina Fosh is Sister Love. Featured in the cast are Denver Pyle as Brother Love and Don Diamond as the deputy. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is executive producer. Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. And Kim Weisskopf, story editor. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Hollywood Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday... The Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Stanton Forbes' bizarre retrospective tale of entanglement. If two of them are dead... Starring Earl Holland, Catherine Burns, and Nina Foch's sister Love. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Depression years, a time of trend.
transients, a time when home was anywhere one spent the night. For Joe John Plunkett, home was a moving freight, rolling across the American Midwest. Or it was until he met Dorcas Kimball, 17, crippled and alone. Two young misfits in a ramshackle house and a revival meeting just down the road. Nothing surprising for the time and place. But for Joe John Plunkett and Dorcas Kimball, the quest for salvation was destined to be a surprisingly dangerous proposition. If two of them are dead, we'll continue in a moment. I lay crumpled at the foot of the cellar stairs. Oh, I knew right away it was Dorcas's paw. And she'd sent me down here on purpose to find it. You must have seen Pa lying there dead by now. He'd be coming back any minute. Well, what else was I going to do? I couldn't just say right out, there's a dead body in the cellar and I don't know what to do about it. I had to get help somehow. And Joe John Plunkett coming up the road with Tippy yapping at his heels, he seemed to be it. I was just going to have to get Joe John to help me, whether he wanted to or not. Some bad case of tuberculosis your pa has got. Guess you knew as soon as you saw him lying there it was my pa. It doesn't matter who he is anymore. It's my pa, all right. What happened? I reckon I killed him. Didn't mean to. Well, <clears throat> thanks for the meal. I'll get along without the bed. You go, and I guess I'll have to set that deputy on you. I'll have to explain how you aren't my cousin at all, how you came around begging for work. And my pa took you on because he wasn't feeling well. And you killed him. Uh, what am I supposed to have killed him for? This thriving trade you're doing in wooden statues of Uncle Sam? There's money hid in the cellar. It's mine. But I'll say you found out and killed pa for it. You sucked me in good, didn't you? What are we going to do with him? You can't just dig a hole in the ground and throw him in like a dead horse. You think you can get away with this? There ain't nobody who's going to miss him. Well, you must have been one hell of a daughter. I hated him. I didn't mean for him to die. I wanted to go to Sister Love's meeting to pray. I asked for forgiveness. But I didn't feel nothing at all. Well, you managed to get me into your trap real good with that Sister Love business. That deputy's already got me pegged to somebody who hits first and thinks about it later. I had nothing to do with that. You did that yourself. But I could have still used the same story since you're just a stranger here. Yeah, well, when you're a stranger, you got no chance at all, all right. Everybody's against you right off. So what are we going to do with it? With Pa's body, I mean. What do you mean? There's nobody to miss him. I mean, you got no kinfolks at all? There's just Pa and me, that's all. Ever since Ma died. What about your neighbors? Mrs. Buttleford down the road is all. She never comes near our place no more. She hated my pa, called him a whiskey-breathing devil. If she thinks anything at all, she'll just figure he finally drunk himself to death. Well, what about some old friend of your pa's that might show up? If there was any, they'd think the same thing. Our pa didn't have no friends, only somebody to get drunk with now and then. He doesn't owe anybody any money, does he? Nobody give pa credit. 
How about the people that come here to buy these statues and things? I mean, you got any steady customers? Nobody ever comes more than once. Anyway, I always wait on the people who come. Pa stayed in his workshop. Yeah, well... There's somebody you haven't even thought of. This isn't a game. Who is it? The census taker. Only he don't come but every ten years, and he was just here a while back. All right. Give me a shovel. Let's get it over with. I want to change my clothes first. If I did it in this dress, I couldn't ever wear it again. And it's the only one I got. Well, go ahead, but let's hurry up, we. We can bury him right there in the cellar. It's got a dirt floor. It'd be kind of like one of them mausoleums, you know, like they have in cemeteries. Of course, I can't put up a tombstone or anything like that. Maybe I can plant some flowers by the cellar door. I really couldn't figure her out. She just killed her father somehow, unless she was worrying about planting flowers by his grave. Just then, she sounded like a scared little girl. Maybe that's all she was, all she'd ever been. Let's go. I'm ready now. Brought along this old quilt to wrap him up in. Make it easy to handle him, I figure. Well, I figured that was one weird manner of figuring. First, she kills her old man, leaves him lying there for who knows how long. Then she wants to wrap him up like some kind of a birthday present. I figured it was bad luck and big troubles. Joe John Plunkett style. That wasn't daisies we were planting. If I went ahead with this thing, I'd be taking part in what amounted to murder. Well, I thought it over whether or not to help her out. I sure didn't feature getting mixed up in a murder. But I decided it was something I had to do. Now a dead man's got to be buried. His body isn't stiff. I thought it would be. Does it get stiff like I read about and then get soft again before it starts to rot away? Oh, you shut up. I'm just nervous, that's all. Looks plenty deep to me. Yeah, well, the deeper the better. Ain't nobody ever come down here but Pa and me, and I won't ever want to come down again, knowing I'd be walking on Pa's grave. Just shut up and let me dig in peace, will you? Okay, I'll shut up. I had something else to think about anyway. The money. I hadn't been lying about that. I did have money hidden in the cellar. I could look at a place on the wall and know just which brick it was that was loose and had the money hid behind it. I couldn't let my pa find that money. He'd have spent every cent of it on liquor and I wouldn't have had nothing left. Nothing in the world. My great aunt Nadine had given me that money when she was dying. Dorcas. She looked asleep or dead already. Her face like a skeleton against the pillows in that big four-poster bed. Come here, girl. Don't be afraid. How you feeling, Green Aunt Nadine? Uh, I'm dying. Cancer. Eating me up. I remember now how the room had smelled like slow death. My pillow. Reach 
under my bed. And I pulled out the little beaded purse and seen what was inside. Shiny gold pieces. $300 worth turned out. Now, don't let your pop. They've been great Aunt Nadine's last words. Okay. You're going to have to give me a hand with him. What? Just help me get him under this quilt. Then we can just slide him into the hole. All right. No, I'll handle his head and shoulders. You just lift up his legs. Okay. Now, help me ease him down. There. It's done. Yeah, the worst of it's done. You're not going to start crying for him now, are you? I'm crying for him. It's my leg. It's hurting and it ain't hurt me for a long time now. All that was left now was just to cover up that evidence, and I did that fast enough. And I remember that homebrew I'd come down for in the first place. Before we went back into the house, I made sure I had a couple of bottles of it under my arm. Only first, as soon as I got back into that kitchen, I filled the sink with water and stood there for a long time, washing my hands. You know what's funny? No, why don't you tell me what's funny? I keep wishing for my mother. And that's crazy, because I, I don't even hardly remember her. She's the one who had tuberculosis and had to go away to a sanitarium. And I never saw her anymore after that. One day, Pa just told me he got word that she died. That's when he started in drinking worse than ever. How long ago was that? I don't know. Years, though. There's no point in thinking about it anymore. I guess not. You want me to fix you something more to eat? No, I think I'll just try some of your Paul's medicine. Then I guess I'll go to bed. I've never felt so tired. Yeah, it's been a long day. Good night, Joe John. Thank you. I couldn't remember going to bed or falling asleep, and I had no idea what time it was the next day when I finally woke up. I only knew that I woke with just one thought. I hoped Joe John Plunkett was gone, gone for good. I didn't need him anymore. I didn't need anybody. Anybody here? Sorry to keep you waiting. Hush, Tippy. Oh, uh, oh, forgive me, dear. I, I, I wouldn't have acted so impatient if I'd known you were handicapped. I was just changing my clothes, that's all. And I thought somebody else is here to answer the door. Uh, my husband and I were admiring that large statue of Uncle Sam you have out there in the yard. Uh, how much are you asking for it? Large Uncle Sam's $2. Forget it, Marie. But seeing he's a little faded, I'll let you have him for a dollar and a half. Oh, well, what do you think, George? Jim Cracks. All worthless, if you ask me. Now, George, Hetty Burns has got a little wooden statue sitting in the middle of her petunia bed. Looks real smart. Mm. I, I tell you what, we'll uh, take him off your hands for a dollar. Well, that's uh, giving it away. But all right, it's too hot to argue. 
Pay her, George. Get it in the car. I want to get someplace for a frosted root beer before I melt. Thanks, mister. Don't thank me. You should have held off with a buck and a half. Thought you'd taken off for tall timber by now. I think I had some breakfast coming. Don't worry, I'm going. Fix you up a mess of eggs. Yeah, I'm done. I already put the coffee pot on. Where are you heading? Just as far away as I can get. Me too, as soon as I can. The money you got hidden in the cellar, I imagine you could go ways on that. Hmm, you ain't forgot about that. Nobody forgets the mention of money. Look, you don't have to fret about me. I mean, I don't figure it's enough to walk over anybody's grave for. That money's mine. It's got nothing to do with Paul. Of course, you'll have to go back down there to get your money. Though you did say you'd never go there again, didn't you? I said I won't ever want to. Well, I'll just have to, one more time. Is that why you killed him? Because of the money? You couldn't understand. You didn't know him, what he was like. How it was to be stuck here all alone with him, never knowing what he was going to do next. Drunkards, you hear me calling you, girl? I know you were down here. I seen you flipping across the yard with your skirts flying. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, girl. Getting too old to be running around showing yourself the way you do. Got that bad leg, but there ain't nothing wrong with the rest of you. You better watch yourself or you're going to wind up in bad trouble. You leave me alone. Hey! Ain't no way to talk to me. I'm your pa, remember? Leave me be, pa. Now, now, girl, I ain't going to... Get away from me, pa. I'm warning you. Well, it was so bad when you just get away from us. Huh? You could have gone to the cops if your pa was mistreating you. I thought of doing that more than once. But I couldn't. Couldn't have my own pa put in jail. <laughs> so, you, so you just killed him instead, huh? My heart bleeds for you. You want more coffee? No, I settled for a cigarette, though, if you had one. Then I'm going to hop the next freight out of here. There's some bull Durham in the cupboard if you can roll them. I can do anything when I have to. You ought to know that. Wouldn't you just know it? Here comes trouble. Huh? We got company. Your favorite sister just turned off the highway. I don't have no sister. Oh, yes, you do. She rides around in a big black hupmobile. You mean? Yeah, I mean. Sister Love. And she's coming this way. Sister Love was here for, I was sure it wasn't to thank me. She'd said her thank you last night. And I still remember that look of resentment in her eyes when she said it. Good afternoon, my child. She looked different than the way she looked under the lights in the tent. She was younger than I thought, but still not really young. Older than Joe John, I reckon. And she looked more real, not like a queen anymore. 
She had on a fancy dress, a lot of ruffles and ribbons. May I come in? I reckon you came to see Jojo. He's in the kitchen. Could I wait in the parlor while you get him? Oh, sure. You sit there on the Davenport. I'll go tell him. Bless you, my child. So what does she want? To see you, just like a picture. She's waiting in the parlor. Yeah, well, you just let her wait. I'm going to finish my cigarette in peace first. I suppose I, I ought to offer some tea or something. <laughs> How about some of your Paul's homebrew? Well, that's not as funny as you think. You've seen the way she's dressed? Well, you don't expect her to go around in that purple preacher's robe all the time, do you? Never mind. You just get in there and find out what she wants. Why don't you? I'll bring the tea. As you can understand, Mr. Plunkett, traveling around the country as I do, incidents such as last night's are bound to occur from time to time. Of course I don't like to have such unfortunate souls as that poor man arrested and placed in jail on my account. In fact, I had Brother Love go right into town and put up bail so he could be free to go on his way. Yeah, you sure that was smart? He could come back and make trouble for you. Exactly. Ironic as it may seem, people do not always appreciate being saved. Indeed, they sometimes resent me for trying. Now, I can understand that, all right. Oh, and that's why I've come to ask you to help me, Joe John Plunkett. Me? What is it that you want Joe John to do? Goodness, child. I thought you'd gone off someplace. I fixed you some tea. That's very kind of you. But if you don't mind, I'd like to talk to Mr. Plunkett privately. This is my house, not his. She's right, you know. This is her house. And I'd kind of like to hear the answer to that question she just asked you. Seems I never know what people are likely to ask me to do next. We will be leaving directly after the services tonight. And I want you to come with us as my bodyguard. Your bodyguard? $20 a week. And your room and board. He can't. Joe John's working for me. He's going to run the jigsaw. I'm going to pay him $25 a week. You're staying here, aren't you, Joe John? Well, if the money's not enough, Mr. Plunkett, I... No, I, uh... No, the money's okay. It's more than I'm worth. No, thanks. You have other fish to fry? It ain't like that between Joe John and me. It ain't like that at all. Oh, child. I wasn't insinuating anything. No, I, uh... Look, what I don't see is why you're so set on me joining up with you. I mean, that don't make sense. I'm a bum. I mean, don't you know a bum when you see one? You don't have to be a bum. Oh, yes, I do. I have to be. I mean, I'm made for it. I work at it. Some people work for success. I work at being a failure. There are people like that, you know. Sit down, Joe John Plunkett. Look, don't think you're going to try to convert me. Sit down, I said. As a matter of fact, I was only testing you. Testing me? I wanted to see what you were made of. In my profession, as you know, I deal with a lot of weak people. You mean cripples? Mental cripples. People who come to me begging for help. People who could help themselves, but they won't. They come to me looking for the easy way, something magic and quick. But uh, to help people, no matter what, isn't that wonderful? Of course it's wonderful, child. That's my purpose in life, my burden and my joy. But it hasn't come easy. I've worked hard, striven ceaselessly toward my goal, to reach as many people as I can. And now I need help. 
help that I can't get from a weak man. I need your help, Joe John Puckett. And yours too, child. What's your name? Uh, Dorcas, Dorcas Kimball. But you said this was your house? Is there anyone else living here besides you? No, nobody else except for Joe John. Why? Why? Because this place is perfect for what I have in mind. Oh, now, finally we cut bait, huh? I have a mission. I can do good in this world that no one else can do. I have a message that is the power and the glory, and I must be heard by everyone. And I've chosen the two of you to aid me in my mission. Well, how? What do you want us to do? I want you to kidnap me. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense. If two of them are dead, I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Stanton Forbes, If Two of Them Are Dead, was adapted for radio by Shirley Gordon. Earl Holloman is Joe John. Catherine Burns is Dorcas. And Nina Fausch is Sister Love. Featured in the cast are Joan Tompkins as Marie and Carl Swenson as George. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is executive producer, Rochelle Sherman associate producer, and Kim Weiskopf, story editor. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here... To The Zero Hour. Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday... The Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Stanton Forbes' bizarre retrospective tale of entanglement. If two of them are dead. Starring Earl Holland. Catherine Burns.
most of my grown life, although I wasn't really that old, and I'd had my share of close scrapes and run-ins. It got to be where I could sense when something bad was going to happen to me, so all I could figure out was I must have taken a pretty fair blow to the head when I jumped off that last freight, because if I'd had any sense at all, I'd have been long gone from here by now. I mean, first, getting took in by a crippled kid who talks me into escorting into some holy roller shindig, then getting half-tricked into burying her father, who she killed, and then sitting in the parlor drinking tea with her and a lunatic lady evangelist who had just about the craziest notion I'd ever heard of in all my life. I want you to kidnap me. Kidnap you? I'll pay the two of you $1,000 to keep me here in this house for two weeks. Here in my house? It's perfect. No one would suspect that Sister Love was being held a prisoner in such an ordinary, nondescript place as this. Well, you, you, you're nuts. Yeah, I always figured anybody in the line of work you're in had to be. <laughs> you are both responding just as I anticipated you would. It is only out of your initial surprise at the idea. Neither of you are shocked. I counted on that. My knowledge of human nature hasn't failed me. I have chosen well. Well, if you want to know the truth, Joe, John Plunkett, you owe me this. Oh, yeah. Well, all of a sudden, it seems like I owe everybody something. That little scene with that drunk last night? For your information, that had been carefully planned and was being beautifully executed until you interfered. Well, that figures. I should have known better. The man you struck was Clay Turner. He'd come to me a poor sinner, bereft of his family, his job, everything, because of demon rum. We prayed together several times. I drove the devil from his soul. He was very grateful. The perfect pigeon, huh? A poor sinner you were going to make into a rich sinner. What I'm planning to do will harm no one, and it will enable me to help hundreds, no, thousands of poor souls that otherwise I might never reach. But how kidnapping you do that? By bringing greater fame to the name of Sister Love, so that I may carry the word throughout the length and breadth of this land... From New York to California. Really? And if you and Joe John do as I say, you'll both be able to travel wherever you wish. Yeah, well, I already do. I mean in style. Yeah, what about this uh, Clay Turner? Oh, you took care of him. And I had Brother Love give him $100 for his trouble. Yeah, Brother Love. Now, what does he think about this mad scheme of yours? Oh, Brother Love does whatever I say. For instance, at the moment, he's waiting outside in that hot, hot car. Although I've no doubt he's enjoying a peaceful afternoon nap. He's my Uncle Micah, you know, an obliging, harmless old man. Is it true what he says in the pamphlet... Did you predict that your mind power were going to be killed the way they were? I did. Although I'll confess to you, it was a safe enough prediction. Bessie and Abner Love, my mother and father, carried the gospel message over the most dangerous kind of mountain terrain. And they never spent a nickel on repairs for that old bus of theirs. Poor noble souls. They sound as crazy as you do. 
There's nothing crazy about what I'm proposing. I have it all worked out. We leave for Chinoo tonight right after the service. You would follow me there in a car. Yeah, well, now there's a snag right there. What car? Never mind about that right now. I'd slip out in the middle of the night and meet you, and then we'd return here. As simple as that. Mm-hmm. I'd leave the ransom note and arrange the scene before I left. Oh, very neat. Then, in about two weeks, I, I think it should be, you'd be free of me and a thousand dollars richer. But how are you going to get rescued? Oh, or, or do you just rescue yourself? And if you're kidnapped, now there's supposed to be ransom money. What, what about that? Well, the ransom should be sizable. $50,000 sounds right, don't you think? Well, the amount doesn't matter because it'll never be paid. No, the ransom note will state that instructions will follow, but they won't. The three of us will just sit here and wait until the two weeks are up. Yeah, that sounds cozy. Then you and, and Dorcas here can do whatever you wish. I'll tell the authorities the kidnappers got frightened and ran away. And, of course, my description of my abductors will be constructed purely out of my imagination. We'd hope. What about the car we'd need? Where are we going to get it? Well, Joe John would have to buy a car under his name. You could keep it to go away in, Joe John. Now, just think how free you would be with your own car. Mm-hmm. Well, listen to me. Hopping freight suits me just fine. And now that I've heard this whole scheme of yours, I, I think you're crazier than I even thought of first. And listen, Dorcas Kimball, if you've got any sense at all, you'll get this mad woman out of your house right now. Don't you worry, Sister Love. I'll talk to him. You'd be surprised at the things I can get Joe John Plunkett to do. There's nothing on this earth that surprises me, my child. And as for my worrying, remember, I have faith. This was a chance for me to get away, to really go to those places I've been dreaming about all my life. Great Aunt Nadine's money plus my half of a thousand dollars make me good as rich. You're as crazy as she is. Hell, I'd be spending two weeks with two cuckoos in a cuckoo nest. For five hundred dollars and a new car? Yeah, well, it wouldn't be worth it. No, if I did decide to go along with it, it wouldn't be for the money. But what would it be for, then? Because uh, it would be something to do. A gamble. With the stakes against me. You wouldn't understand. Well, you don't understand me either. But that doesn't matter, as long as we both have our reasons. Yeah, she was right there. We were a couple of misfits, Dorcas Kimball and me. Sister Love knew what she was doing. She couldn't have chosen two more likely sinners to do her dirty work. We both had nothing to lose. Ah, you've decided then. You're going to do it. Well, that depends. I mean, I don't like that part at the end where we drive off into the sunset and you tell your little fairy tale. Joe John's got a better idea. Yeah, your uncle's going to have to face the police and the newspapers with the ransom note, you know? Oh, that's no problem. I'll simply tell him to be very upset about it, but to say or pay nothing. No, no, no. You just, uh, you tell him to pay it. That is, to pretend to pay it. 
He can leave a dummy package, which we'll pick up, and then we'll set you free. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it will make more publicity for the newspapers. I agree. Anything else? Yeah. A letter from you stating that this whole thing was your idea. And we'll also have the dummy package as evidence. So it's just a couple of little security measures. All right. But there's no reason why you shouldn't trust me. No, there's no reason why we should. It was exciting, just like in the movies. We had to postpone the plan for a few days till Joe John bought the car. Then I addressed a letter to Sister Love, care of general delivery in Chinook. The letter was in code to let her know we were ready, and all it said was, Jesus saves. about time you came. I wasn't enjoying waiting out here in the middle of nowhere at this hour of night. You wouldn't have liked me to get a speeding ticket on the way, would you? Yeah. How you like your new car? It serves the purpose. Did you leave the ransom note? Of course. $50,000 or sister love will be sent to heaven. <laughs> Newspapers will like that. I can hardly wait to see the headlines tomorrow. Neither can Dorcas. She thinks this whole thing is a game. Yeah, poor child's probably starved for a little excitement in her life. Hmm. She's a strange child. How old is she? Seventeen. Seems younger than that to me. It's odd. A young girl like that living all alone in that house. Until you came, of course. Both of her parents are dead, I gather. That's right. Are you related to her on her mother's side or her father's? What? I heard you tell the deputy you were cousins. First cousins. Yeah, that's right. On her mother's side. What about your folks? They still living? My old man fell off an oil rig. Killed himself instantly. Oh, that's terrible. What about your mother? Yeah. What is this, some kind of third degree? I was only being friendly. After all, we're going to be living together for two whole weeks. We may as well get to know each other. Yeah, well, you know enough already. Only that your father's dead. And that you come from a better background than you try to make out. What makes you think that? What is one of my stocks in trade? Finding out about people from what they say and the way they say it. I've worked hard to get rid of that Tennessee twang I used to have. Yes, you can't have an accent in my business. People have too many prejudices. Yeah, well, I know about people. You don't have to tell me about them. Look, I travel in my business, too, you know? Yeah, being a failure, a bum. That's right. If your mother is still living, what does she think about Look, I didn't say she was still living. Look, look, I didn't say anything about it at all. Oh, forgive me, Joe John. I didn't know your mother was a subject you didn't wish to discuss. Yeah, well, you, you just asked too many questions, that's all. <laughs> oh, that's, that's another of my stocks in trade. But it's late. I'm too tired for any more talk. Yeah, I think I'll go lie back and try to sleep the rest of the way. Yeah, well, that'll be just fine with me. Drive carefully. Remember, you're carrying precious cargo. 
She sure likes her rest, don't you? The longer she stays up in her room, the better I like it. Well, she probably doesn't want to be seen in those house dresses she had me buy. They're real plain, no ruffles and ribbons. Yeah, well, I got a feeling she'll still look okay. Yeah, I suppose so. With that face and that hair and the way she walks. <laughs> her stock's in trade. Huh? Uh, nothing. Anyway, she'll be down soon. She's going to want to see this newspaper. Oh, that must be her coming now. Oh, hush, Tippy. <laughs> Tippy won't stop barking at her. Dogs are smart. Did it come yet? The newspaper. Is it here? It's here. Am I in it? You're in it. On the front page. Really? But where? I don't see it. It's down at the bottom. Yeah, I guess they thought MacArthur and those bonus marches in Washington were more important. Michael Love, here in Chanute with an evangelist group holding revival services in a tent on Route 39, told Sheriff Edward Billings that his niece, Sister Magdalene Love, had disappeared from her room in the Chanute Hotel Wednesday night and that a kidnap note had been found. Sheriff Billings declined to comment on the note other than to say that bloodstains on the paper might indicate foul play. The sheriff's office is investigating the disappearance of Sister Love. Is that all there is? That's all. Well, it doesn't tell anything about me. They didn't even use my picture. I left a lot of pictures with Uncle Michael. Yeah, well, look, never mind about all that. Now, what's this business about bloodstains on the ransom note? Oh, I just thought that would be a good touch. I put my finger to do it. Well, I don't like it. Well, why should you mind? It was my finger, my you, blood. You're just setting us up for a shooting gallery. I was just making it a better story, that's all. I suppose it takes them some time to do their research and everything. There'll probably be a bigger article with a picture in tomorrow's paper. Whew. Let's have some lemonade. It's so hot. I get it. Yeah, well, not for me. I got me something better out in the workshop. Oh, never mind Joe, John. He just gets nervous about things. Oh, I don't mind him. I don't mind him a bit. Let's have that lemonade, child. Oh, shut up, you little beast. Can't you do something about that dog? Now, Tippy doesn't mean any harm. He just isn't used to you yet. I'll, I'll put him outside. Now, come on, Tippy. Now, that's a good boy. You just play outside for a while. I couldn't believe it, but it was her, all right, Mrs. Puddleford from down the road. She hadn't come near our place for a year or more. What was she coming now for? Well, there was no time to warn Sister Love. All I could do was try and bluff it out, like I'd done with the deputy about Jojo. Dorcas, girl, how are you? How are you, Mrs. Puddleford? I'm sweltering in this heat, I can tell you. Yes, it's very warm, isn't it? Oh, warm is hardly the word. It's... Oh, oh I, I didn't know you had company, Dorcas. Well, that's all right, Mrs. Puddleford. You come on in. This is my cousin, Mary Kimball, from Seattle, Washington. How do you do, Miss Kimball? How do you do? Uh, sorry to bother you, Dorcas, but I, I need to borrow a cup of sugar? 
Well, of course. I'll get it for you right away. Uh, no hurry. No hurry, dear. It's, it's too hot to hurry. Right, Mrs. Kimball? Yeah. Perhaps Mrs. Puddleford would like a glass of lemonade, Dorcas. That would hit the spot all right. I'll get you a glass. Oh, thank you, Dorcas. It's mighty neighborly of you. Oh, I'm sorry it's been so long since I've had a chance to call on you. I notice your pa's gotten himself a new car. Well, that's Joe John's car. He's my cousin. My other cousin, he's from out of state, too. We're having a kind of family reunion. Well, now, that's nice. I always think it's nice when a family can keep in touch. In these hard times, so many families are being split up. Some have to go to look for work one place and some another, and like as not, nobody finds any, any place. Of course, most folks just don't have the money to go flitting all over the country. Oh, goodness. Dorcas, that's not your pa liquored up again, is it? No, that's only Joe, John. My other cousin I just told you about. Joe, John, this here is Mrs. Puddleford from down the road. Oh, hello, Mrs. Puddleford. I explained how we're having kind of a family reunion. You and Cousin Mary and me. Uh, nice to meet you, Mr. Kimball. Plunkett. My name's Plunkett. Here's your cup of sugar. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Suppose I should be getting back. I imagine you all have family business to discuss. Yes, in fact, we do. <laughs> You've been here a few days longer than Miss Kimball, haven't you, Mr. Plunkett? Uh, yeah, that's right. My place being right on the road the way it is, I can't help noticing people coming and going. Must say, I didn't see when you arrived, though, Miss Kimball. I came by train, and Joe John drove in to pick me up. We didn't get here to the house until quite late at night. Oh, I see. By the way, Mrs. Puddleford, did you happen to take in that revival meeting they had across the way a few days ago? Oh, no. My church doesn't hold with those offshoot religions. Well, the reason I mentioned it is I just read in the paper that that lady evangelist who ran it got herself kidnapped. You don't say. Well, that sounds like that other one out there in California. Claimed she was kidnapped a few years back. Said some men held her prisoner in Mexico or some such place. But there were a lot of people who thought that was a put-up job just for publicity. Is <laughs> well, that a fact? I guess it's like they say, everything's been done before, right, Cousin Mary? I wouldn't know. Well, nice meeting you all. Thanks for the sugar, Dorcas. You're welcome, Mrs. Puddleford. You fool! Why did you purposely throw the newspaper story in her face like that? <laughs> so that big grand plot of yours wasn't so original with you after all, was it? I don't know anything about that other case. All I'm concerned about is what if that, that, that busybody recognized me? It would ruin everything. Oh, come on. Now, Sister Love sitting at Dorcas Kimball's kitchen table in a plain cotton dress sipping lemonade. The Lord's handmaiden herself. I'm going upstairs for some peace and quiet. It's true. No one would ever imagine Sister Love in a place like this. I don't understand, Joe John. Why did you bring up that newspaper story and everything to Mrs. Puddleford? Well, I knew it would make any difference. I mean, either she knew or she didn't. 
Mostly, I just wanted to get Sister Love's mind off all that about your pa. My pa? Yeah. When I was bringing Sister Love here in the car, I told... Well, I told you your pa was dead. I just hope she doesn't remember that. What did you talk to her about pa for? You didn't have to tell her anything about that. I just said he was dead, that's all. I didn't tell her anything about your killing him or us burying him. No, Joe John. You didn't. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense. If two of them are dead, I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Stanton Forbes, If Two of Them Are Dead, was adapted for radio by Shirley Gordon. Earl Holloman is Joe John. Catherine Burns is Dorcas. And Nina Fosh is Sister Love. Featured in the cast is Anne Morrison as Mrs. Puddleford. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is executive producer. Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. And Kim Weisskopf, story editor. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferrante Antischer. It is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here... To the Zero Hour. Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday... The Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Stanton Forbes' bizarre retrospective tale of entanglement... If two of them are dead. Starring Earl Holland. Catherine Burns. And Nina Foch as Sister Love. In Elliot Lewis's production of... 
the zero hour. Secrets like promises are sometimes hard to keep. Dorcas Kimball had one, but let it get away. Joe John Plunkett learned of one, though we tried not to hear. And Sister Magdalene Love needed one. A body furtively buried in the cyclone cellar of an old farmhouse. A deadly secret now shared by three people. Time now for the test of the old adage. Three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. Our story continues in a moment. I didn't know who to be angry with. My pa for being the way he was. Joe John for talking so freely about it. Or his sister Love for listening in on other people's business. Sometimes there's no one to blame but yourself. Anyway, sister Love knew all about what had happened and didn't waste any time using it to her advantage. So innocent little Dorcas here is a murderer, and you, Joe John, are an accomplice uh, after the fact, as they say. Now, one of the two of you weren't shocked by my harmless little kidnap plot. Where's all that love and forgiveness you preach when you got that fancy purple robe on? Well, Dorcas will have to work out her own atonement for her sins. And you for yours, Joe John Plunkett. And what about uh, Snow White, Sister Love? (laughs) I am still as I always was when my dear mother and father were beside me. I sleep the sleep of the good little girl. (laughs) I thought I told you to keep that dog outside. He can't stay outside all the time. Hush, Tippy. This is Dorcas's house, and that's her dog. Now, it seems to me you don't have the right to order either one of them around. I'm paying all the expenses, aren't I? That gives me every right. And we have work to do, so get that mongrel out of here. It's all right, Jojo. Take Tippy back outside now. Come on, Tippy. Come on, now. I'm not at all happy with the way things are going so far. You mean because you're not hitting the front page headlines? That's not our fault. At least your picture was in today's paper. On page five. Oh, you were right, Joe John. We should send a letter of instructions about the ransom tonight. All right. Go ahead. Now, write, write this. Dear Uncle Micah, I'm being forced to write this note. Mail ransom money at once to, to Clay Turner. Clay Turner? The man who was drunk at your meeting that night. That's as good a name as any, isn't it? Now, just keep writing. To Clay Turner, General Delivery, Wichita, Kansas. And Mark, please forward on outside of package. What's that for? Tomorrow morning early, I'm going to go down and fill out a card to forward any mail for Clay Turner to General Delivery, Chicago. I mean, that ought to send him on a wild goose chase. Uh, I decided it'd be too dangerous for us to try to pick up that package... I mean, it's certainly going to be a dummy full of newspaper anyway. So, look, uh, go ahead. Write, uh, if all goes well, I will be released on receipt of the money. But I don't know where. We have to keep them guessing about where we, <clears throat> where we are. Is that all you want me to write? No, finish it off with, uh, please do as they say, Uncle Micah. They haven't harmed me. And sign it. Now, the thing is where to mail it from. Hmm. 
Surprise, you don't have that all worked out, too. I get it worked out. It's only about 50 miles or so to the Oklahoma border. Late tonight, I'll drive over there and just mail it from there somewhere. I have to admit, that sounds like a good idea. Can I ride with you, Joe John? I've never been to Oklahoma. No, I'm only going to be driving as far as the first mailbox I come to, so... It'll still be Oklahoma. No, Dorcas, I'd rather go by myself. I haven't had much chance to be alone since I've been here. That wasn't exactly true. Lying out on my cot in the workshop, I was alone every night. Long enough to remember everything I wanted to forget. And then finally to fall asleep and dream the whole thing back to life again. I was a boy again, coming home from school. Coming home to the house I remember best, a pretty little white house with rose bushes. As I came up the walk, I looked up and I saw the open window with the white curtain billowing out of it, my mother's room. I walked up the steps across the porch, let the screen door bang behind me, tossed my school books on the table, and I called out, Mom! I'm home! Mom! She wasn't there, I figured. Gone to the store or something, so I headed for my room. I was thinking about the things I'd just gotten for my birthday, a kite and a new baseball bat and a toy train. The door to my mother's room was closed, but I heard a sound, and I remembered the billowing curtain. It's blown in and knocked something over, I thought. So I opened the door, and the whole world went crazy. The room was full of strange, thick people, gesturing wildly and all talking at once in angry words that I couldn't understand. Then silence, and then the voices again. And somehow I stood in the middle of all of it with my baseball bat in my hand. It was shiny and new, and yet there was blood all over it. And I just stood there wondering, how did I get blood all over my new baseball bat? Make that long drive across the border and back. Anything was better than going to bed trying to sleep, finding myself back in that same nightmare I'd lived with for years. But I couldn't take Dorcas with me, even though she was still begging me to when I left. Why can't I go with you, Joe John? Well, because I think one of us ought to stay here and keep an eye on Sister Love. Why? What's she going to well, do? Well, I don't know. But I just keep having this feeling she's up to something. So do I. I didn't want to say anything because I thought you'd think I was being silly. But I'm kind of scared of her, Jojo. Ah, don't worry. I mean, there's nothing to be scared of. Yet. I was beginning to have the feeling that Jojo was my friend. Only friend I had besides Tippy. Well, before I went in and gave Tippy the dish of hamburger scraps I had cooling for him on the sideboard... I'd go into the workshop, see if there was anything I could do to make Joe John's cot more comfortable. I hadn't meant to pry. Not really. But when I was smoothing his sheets and blankets, Joe John's bundle fell on the floor from somewhere behind the bed, and something fell out of it. A razor, an old leather case. I started to stuff it back, and that's when I saw the letters from uh, Mrs. Henry Plunkett. And then I remembered that talk between Joe John and Sister Love 
about Joe John's mother. He gotten so mad, and I didn't know why. Sister Love seemed to know more about Joe John than I did, and he was my friend, not hers. So I just read one of the letters. My dearest son, thank you for at least letting me know from time to time where you are. I must assume that means you want me to continue writing to you whenever I feel able. I have my good days, of course. Bad ones, too, that are better forgotten. But people are good to me here, although it is like prison. Wherever you are, I hope there are people who are good to you, better to you than your own mother, whose sin, justified as I thought it to be, drove you to the dark violence of that terrible day we both can never forget. Always I write to you over and over the same plea, forgive. Forgive yourself, my poor boy, and if you ever can, your mother. Joe John, we're alike, you and me. Now I have to tell you about my pa, the way it really happened. Joe John, hurry up and come back. What's the matter? What are you doing up? Is something happened? Oh, no, everything's okay. Where's Sister Love? Well, she went to bed a long time ago. I have to talk to you, Joe John. Dorcas is late. Come on, please, Joe John. Come on in the kitchen. I'll fix you a snack or something. Okay, but make it fast, will you? I'm tired. What can I get you? I don't want nothing. I'm too tired to eat. I had to drive a lot farther than I thought. Just tell me what's on your mind so I can go to bed, will you? I got afraid maybe you weren't coming back at all. Yeah, well, I came back. What's the matter with Tip? He's dreaming, I guess. Listen, Joe John, about Pa. I want you to know exactly how it happened, so maybe you won't feel so bad about your part of it. Never mind that. That's over and done with. After Ma went away and died, Pa took after me sometimes. When he was too liquored up to know what he was doing, I mean. I, I guess he was crazy with loneliness and all, you know. You mean he... Dorcas, how old are you? And the truth. Well, I want to tell you about that, too. I lied to you. I'm not 17. I was just 15 my last birthday. Go on about your father. Well, like I said, he... No, I don't mean about that part. How did you kill him? I mean, did you hit him with something, or what'd you do? I pushed him. With all the strength I could. And he fell. He fell real hard against the bricks. And then he sort of slumped to the ground. I knelt down to him, and I shook him, and I yelled at him, and he didn't answer me, and then I saw he wasn't breathing anymore. There wasn't even any blood, no blood at all. You pushed him? You mean, he just... That's all you did? Well, it was enough, wasn't it? He fell down dead, didn't he? But you didn't mean to kill him. I told you I didn't mean to kill him. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorrier now than I was then. Go ahead and cry, kid. <laughs> You're just a kid. Like I was once. I shouldn't have made you help me with him like I did either. I'm sorry about that, too. Yeah, sorry. We do things we don't mean to, and we're sorry. 
Well, that's the best we can be, I guess. I'm going to bed. I think you better, too. But wait a minute. I better take Tippy out. He acts like he doesn't feel good. Did he eat his supper okay? Well, yeah, I guess so. Sister Love gave it him. Sister Love? How come? Well, I had his meat cooling on the sideboard when I was outside. And I came in, she told me she couldn't stand the way he'd been sniffing around for it, so she gave it to him. Tippy, come on, Tippy. Come on, boy, let's go outside. Come on. He acts like he can't walk, Joe John. What's the matter with him? I don't know. Except I do know one thing. Sister Love is different. She does things she means to do. And she doesn't know the meaning of the word sorry. Hey, hey Tippy's looking real bad. He's shaking all over. Why, Joe John, what's happened to him? He's... He's been poisoned. Seems as though all I've done since I came here was big graves. Dorcas was crying more over the grave of the dog than she had over the grave of her father. <laughs> I couldn't blame her for that. Poor Tippy. Never did anything to anybody except Bart. What did she do it for, Joe John? Why? Well, she hated him, you know that. I should have kept him outside like she asked me to. Yeah, well, it was more than that, and I knew it. Poor Tippy. He'd just been a guinea pig. I was wondering whose grave I'd be digging next before I fell into one myself. I looked over at Dorcas. There she was, just sniveling, rubbing her hand across that bony, freckled nose. Just a kid, it turns out. A scrawny, greedy kid. It was written all over that thin face, those long, grasping fingers. But I'd seen the first time I saw her. That she wanted something bad. Wanted something. And she wanted everything with a ribbon around it. And what did she got? A miserable old man and a flea-bitten dog. Now both of them were dead. Dorcas Kimball, age 15, and all alone in the world. A game leg and a skinny little body that didn't even know it was female yet. A mopper. Tangled hair sprinkling the freckles. And the damnedest green eyes I had ever seen. Was she worth saving? Who was? I thought of the advice that uh, I'd once gotten from a hard old boy I'd met in a tank jail once. Nobody's any good, boy. You remember that. Nobody. Dorcas standing alone by Tippy's grave with the rain starting to come down because I knew that's what she wanted me to do. Besides, I was in the mood to have a nice little talk with Sister Love. She was in the parlor, sitting with her back to the storm brewing outside the window. For the first time since she came here, she wasn't wearing one of those plain cotton house dresses she'd had Dorcas buy for. No, she had on a 
flimsy lavender negligee that obviously was her own. She was playing solitaire. As soon as I came into the room, I saw that she was cheating. If you throw out the rules, what's the point of the game? Winning the only thing that matters. To you. To everybody, except children and fools. You know, I was always told never to trust anybody who didn't like dogs. Where is Dorcas? Off somewhere still sniveling over that mangy little mongrel? Tippy meant a lot to her. Well, animals get sick and die, just like people. But why did you do it? What are you up to? I'm not in the mood for riddles, Joe John. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, then I'll give you some answers. A thousand bucks. You don't have it to pay us, and you never did. Now, so so what kind of a payoff are you planning for Dorcas and me when this job is over with? Well, you just said you had all the answers. I got the answer to that one. A dose of whatever it was you gave that poor little hound last night. That's the payoff you're really planning for us now, isn't it? You have an active imagination, Joe John. That's right. That's right, I have. Oh, I can see you playing your big scene now, telling the world how you barely escaped with your life. How you had to kill us before we killed you. And just why, in this fancied logic of yours, would I risk murder? For those front-page headlines you've been sweating blood for all your life. Oh, I can see them now. Evangelist kills would-be murderers. Sister Love pleads self-defense. Sister Love acquitted of murder to speak in Madison Square Garden. Sister Love survives ordeal to save the world from eternal damnation. (laughs) Joe John, I'm afraid you missed your calling in life. You are a born journalist. Sister Love's sarcasm couldn't screen out the fact that I had hit home. So now all the chips were on the table. And I had my choice. Stay and try to help Dorcas. Or get out and save my own skin. It was cold and dark in the cellar, and I didn't have any light with me. I had to feel my way down the steps slowly. And all the time I had the creepy feeling that when I got to the bottom, I was going to fall right over Pa's dead body. Of course, Pa's buried in the ground. Same as Tippy. I felt the soft, damp earth of Pa's grave under my feet, and I stepped back real quick. But the bricks stayed cold and dry under my fingers, and I felt my way along the wall till I found it, the loose brick, and behind it, Great Aunt Nadine's beaded purse and the gold coins. My blood froze. For a minute, I thought it was my Pa calling me from his grave. Dorcas, you down there? And I knew it was Jojo. He was coming down the steps. Jojo knew about my money. He knew that's what I was down here for. 
and that's why he was coming down after me. Dogs? I can't see. I could see Joe John coming closer. Why couldn't he see me? Maybe my eyes were used to the dog. Maybe he was lying. Maybe he could see me and just wanted to catch me off guard. I couldn't trust anyone. I held the purse as tight as I could, and I reached out for anything I could find to stop him. And my free hand found that loose brick, and I raised it up over my head, and I waited. And I waited for Joe John to take one more step. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense. If two of them are dead, I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Stanton Forbes, if two of them are dead, was adapted for radio by Shirley Gordon. Earl Holloman is Joe John. Catherine Burns is Dorcas. And Nina Fosh is Sister Love. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is executive producer. Rochelle Sherman, associate producer, and Kim Weisskopf, story editor. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here... To The Zero Hour. Hollywood Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday... The Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Stanton Forbes' bizarre retrospective tale of entanglement... If two of them are dead. Starring Earl Holland.
and Nina Foch as Sister Ruth. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. The Depression of the 1930s. A time of hopelessness, a time of fear. Fear, an unfortunate catalyst. One likely to bring more of the same for Dorcas Kimball. Dorcas Kimball. She waits in a dark cyclone cellar, clinging to the only security she has left in the world. A small bag of gold coins. Alone and frightened, ready to strike down Joe John Plunkett, the very man who could be her only hope of escape. The conclusion of If Two of Them Are Dead follows after this word. Poor Dorcas. Poor little girl. Ever since I showed up, I've been cursing my own bad luck. Then while I was standing there on the cellar steps, in the pitch dark, it first occurred to me, her luck wasn't all that much to speak of either. Hell, she'd met me the Friday the 13th of humanity. Whoops. Good morning, Major John. You don't come any closer. I've got me a break, and I'll use it on you if I have to. Well, it was certainly right if you did. I should just get the hell out of there while I got the chance. Well, what do you want, J. John? You answer me before I heave this brick. I'm not after that money of yours, if that's what you're thinking. Well, what'd you come down here after me for? To warn you about Sister Love. What about her? I was right about Tippy. She killed him on purpose. She must have some kind of poison, and she put it in Tippy's food last night. What? Just because he barked at her? No, she hated it. But that's not the reason she poisoned it. Why'd you do it then? Because she's got plans. And we just don't figure out. At least not the way she told us we were going to. You mean she's not going to pay us that thousand dollars? No, she's sure not. <laughs> it's funny. I never really believed it anyway. I mean, it wasn't like my money from Great Aunt Nadine. Then I, I knew what it felt like to hold it in my hand, and I could think about it, spending it whenever I wanted to. Well, it's not just the money, Dorcas. Sister Love is evil. I mean, she, she's liable to do anything. Yeah, I know that. She killed Tippy, didn't she? I can't decide if you're my friend or not. You shouldn't count on anybody. Well, that's why I came down here for my money. It's the only thing I got now, Tippy go. That's why I picked up that brick when I heard you come. Yeah, well, that was smart. But I think you and I just better stick together so we can figure out what to do about Sister Love. But what can we do? I don't know. I don't know yet. But for now, we better get back up to the house. I have to take my money with me. I don't want to have to come down here anymore. Yeah, well, hang on to it. You may need it. Jojo? Yeah? I couldn't hit you with that, Rick. I just couldn't have done it. Never mind about that. Come on, let's go.
what she said was probably true. She probably couldn't have used that brick. Sister Love sure as hell would have, and I could have too if I'd had to, but Dorcas, no. No, she probably couldn't. And maybe that made her worth saving. Only what could I do to save her? And why not just save Joe John Plunkett? I mean, even an old piece of driftwood has its juices. And who knows, maybe the next jump I made off some freight train might mean good luck. Well, this one had sure been bad luck. Bad luck in spades. Well, there'd been some good luck along the line, I still remember. Like San Angelo, <laughs> Bessie Sproul. First, that had looked like I struck out again, too. Hopping down off that freight to find the only car on the road was this old girl's jalopy. Stopped dead with a tire flutter in my bankroll. Mister, look, look, I know fixing a flat for an old broad like me is something you could live without, but I'll give you a lift into town in exchange. And if you've got the time to spare, you're welcome to take supper with my old man and me. <laughs> I know my way around a kitchen pretty good. That turned out to be an understatement. For the next six weeks, I never ate so good. Turned out, Bessie's old man was laid up with a bum back, and Bessie needed somebody to help her run this miniature golf course until it got better. <laughs> I guess maybe that was the sweetest six weeks of my life. What made me think of it now, I wondered. Bessie Spruill and her old man in San Angelo were a long way from Sister Love fixing a pitcher of lemonade in Dorcas Kimball's kitchen. And that was a question to put my mind to when I got inside the house. Now, why had Sister Love turned domestic all of a sudden? She didn't know her way around the kitchen, as far as I knew. Maybe a little Tippy knew better. And I thought some about that. Lemonade, huh? Amen. It was spooky the way the two of them just sort of stared at each other without talking. She kept stirring the lemonade and he just looked at her, right at her. And not like he was thinking she was real beautiful either. You keep stirring that, you're going to wear that spoon off. I was thirsty, and I wasn't going to wait forever. Whatever you and Dorcas were doing outside took you long enough. Dorcas, you better go get out of those wet clothes. She's been standing out by Tippy's grave in the rain. Oh, sentimental foolishness over a dog. Well, it's done, except for the sugar. We can all have some in a moment. I didn't dare take my eyes off Sister Love's hands. I watched her spoon the sugar into the pitcher, stir the mixture, and then take three clean glasses out of the cupboard. Two of them, I felt sure, were going to end up containing something a little more potent than lemonade. The rain's stopping. I'm glad. Tippy never liked being out in the rain. Oh, God. Can't you forget that dog? I'll never forget that dog. Here, I'll, uh, I'll pour the lemonade. No, it's... Uh, 
it isn't quite chilled enough. I'll just set it in the icebox for now. We'll have it a little later. Guess I will go change my clothes after all. We'll wait for you. You come right back. I watch Dorcas limping across the room. I didn't know which I felt more, pity or revulsion. I thought nature's way. Now, that's the extermination of the weak and the crippled of a species. Maybe Dorcas was meant to die. Then looking over at Sister Love, sitting there cold and bitter as that lemonade chilling in the icebox, I just wondered if I'd be able to save either one of us. Uh, listen, Dorcas wants out of the deal. What? The thousand dollars. I don't know. Well, I mean, whether you got it or not, Dorcas doesn't want any part of it. Why are you telling me this? Why doesn't Dorcas tell me herself? Well, she's afraid of you. Afraid of me? Yeah, I, I know. That seems unbelievable to you, but she's just a child, you know. Oh, 17 isn't exactly a child. 15. She just admitted it to me. Have you been filling her with some of those wild notions of yours about me? Uh, look, she's got a little money she saved. She's been, well, she's kept it hidden for years. And she wants to take it and leave, so let's let her go, huh? I want to hear this all from Dorcas herself. All right, here she comes. You asked. Well, Dorcas, Joe John's been telling me some very interesting things about you. What things? What have you been telling her, Joe John? You still got your money safe on you, have you? My money? Joe John, why would you tell her about that? That's all right. Sister Love understands. Now, I explained to her now that Tippy's gone, so you just want to take your money and go away. Oh, no, but now, I... Sister Love doesn't object. Now, do you, Sister Love? Well, no, of course not. But where are you going, child, if you leave here? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Joe John's right. I want to go away. Any place. Very well. Joe John can drive you wherever you want to go. But let's have our lemonade first, shall we? Now I knew what her plan was. She was going to let us go, so it would look as though we were on the run when she played her big rescue scene. But first, of course, the poison. The three glasses were still on the table where she'd set them. Sister Love lifted the pitcher and began to pour the lemonade. I deliberately turned my back on her. I have to wash my hands. Grave digging's dirty business. You didn't have to help me bury Tippia. Could have done it by myself. Oh, yeah? By yourself, huh? Your paw, too, I suppose. Well, I was scared then. I, I could do it now. I'm not scared anymore. You'll always be a scared little kid. That, that, no matter how old you get. God, that's not fair, Joe. John, you got no call to say I that. I say that. Now you're bawling again. <laughs> Listen, you better dry up. You want me to take you anyplace. Now let's all calm down with a nice, cooling drink. Here you are, Dorcas. I'm sure Joe John didn't mean what he said. Three seemingly civilized people sipping lemonade on a muggy summer afternoon. Now, what could be more innocent? I watched as Sister Love and Dorcas tipped their glasses to their mouths and drained them. I smiled, raised mine, and a little toast to them. And then I did the same. I'm ready. You're not going to take anything with you? There's nothing here I want. Well, come on, then. 
Goodbye, Sister Love. And just be glad that you're not ever going to heaven. Because Tippy's there and he'd only bark at you. <laughs> well, it looks like I was wrong. She's not a scared little kid anymore. Oh, by the way, you won't be leaving before too soon, will you, sister? Not likely. Well, that's good. You see, Joe John Plunkett's beginning to believe good sister love. And I sure wouldn't want you to miss it. The car rumbled down the road onto the highway, and I couldn't believe I was really going away for good. I looked back at that old house, crouched down the ground like some filthy old man, with the green window shade hanging crooked in the window of my room, at the last of Pa's little windmills and wooden statues of Uncle Sam. I didn't know where I was going, what I was going to find when I got there. I only knew that I wasn't going to miss anything that I was leaving behind. That's where I was taken. I mean, even if I didn't have the answer. Hell, I guess it doesn't matter to her. Just so long as it's away from here. Well, that's the way I figure it, too. I could see the house getting smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror. The wooden Uncle Sam in the yard and one arm raised in the farewell salute. The miniature painted windmills marching away into the distance reminded me of something... Another time, another place. That sweet six weeks in St. Angelo. Yeah. Bessie Sproul and her old man and their miniature golf course. Something Bessie had once said to me was struggling to come up for air in my mind. Now, what was that? It was one of those soft summer nights. There were a few players still on the course. A couple of young lovers on about the ninth hole. Well, they weren't in any hurry to finish their game. And a large laughing family group just coming up on the 18th. That was the one with the miniature windmill that you had to hit the ball through. Kind of a little fairyland it is, where people come to be together and be happy. Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like, all right. That little brook running through it and those little elves' houses, all those twinkling lights. <laughs> a magic kingdom with my old man and me as the king and queen. <laughs> Everybody in the kingdom acting as carefree as children. You know something, Bessie? I've even felt carefree here. It's been real nice having you, Joe John. Sort of like having a son. That's the one thing we miss. It would have been nice having some kids of our own. But I guess it just wasn't in the cards. Suddenly, I knew why Bessie Spruill and San Angelo kept popping into my mind. What are we stopping for? There's a phone booth there. I want to make a call. Who to? Never mind. I'll be right back. He went to the phone booth to make a call, like he said. I thought maybe I should try and get away while I had the chance. But I couldn't drive the car. Anyway, taking the key. But trying to get away on foot just didn't make sense. He could catch me too easy. Besides, I, I didn't know where to go. 
So I just sat there in the car and waited like you told me to. Well, you're in, kid. You got it made. What are you talking about? You got your money with you, Amy. You know I have. You got enough for a one-way ticket to St. Angelo? Yeah, it's plenty. Where am I going to go in St. Angelo? <laughs> to the Magic Kingdom, honey. To live with the king and queen. You're going to like Bessie and her old man, Dorcas. And the place they live, too. Hey, it's even got a windmill in the front yard like you used to. Well, it sounds okay. Everybody's happy there, right? Even I was. Then why aren't you coming too, Jojo? Well, never mind about me. I just gonna do what I have to do, that's all. I don't understand. Then I never have understood you very much. Yeah, well, people can't always understand each other, Dorcas. Oh, you're going to have to be getting aboard. Maybe you can come along later. Look, kid, if I can ever make it to St. Angelo, I'll be there, okay? Okay. Well, you got your ticket and the address? I got it. Now, you keep your money hid safe while you're on the train, you hear? Oh, I will. Don't worry. <laughs> I guess I don't have to worry about that. Jojo, you never did answer me. Do you think I'm ugly? I mean, sister love isn't beautiful like you oh, thought. Oh, no, Dorcas. <laughs> no, you're not ugly. Well, my leg's ugly. I know that. Your leg? I keep forgetting about that. You do? All I know is... You got the damnedest green eyes I ever saw. Well, it was done, then. Dorcas was saved. Some words from a book I'd read one time came into my head. It is a far, far better thing. Hell, I don't know what they meant, but I sure felt good, I'll tell you that. I felt better than I'd felt in a long, long time. Like a big weight had just been lifted off my back. Sister Love was still in the kitchen where she was when we left her. Standing at the sink now, draining the glass. It was a glass of water. I was pretty sure of that. My own throat felt like I'd been wandering in the desert for days. That's the trouble with lemonade. It makes you thirsty. What did you do? Well, you might say I turned the tables on you. But switch the glasses would be more accurate. Hallelujah, sister. But you couldn't have... I went to the sink to wash my hands so that I could watch you in the shaving mirror. I saw you slip a powder into two of those glasses. Oh, you weren't easy to distract, but I managed with my little play actor with Dorcas, remember? Only she wasn't play acting. But why? Because you and I have one thing in common. We'll both be better dead than alive. You and I? You and I. That's cozy, isn't it? And Dorcas, what did you do with her? Well, she's out of it. I sent her away to the safest, sanest place I could think of. She's going to have a chance now anyway. You fool. If you switched glasses, why Dorcas's? Why didn't you save yourself? Oh, I wouldn't be a noble if that's what you're thinking. But you still wouldn't understand. I only understand what you've done. 
destroyed everything. Not just for me, for everybody. <laughs> All those millions of souls denied Sister Lust salvation, huh? Yes. Sinners don't want to be saved. That's straight from the horse's mouth, lady. Fool. What the... What did you use? Ergot. That stuff women take to bring on the miscarriage. It's easy to get. So what happens now? I don't know exactly. Well, we just give a little wine and fall in our graves like Tippy, huh? Sometimes see things before... Are you seeing things? My mother and father, that old bus driving down that mountain road. Only Uncle Mike and I with them. We're sitting in the back. The bus is going fast. You too better, fast. You better warn them. It's going to crash. I'm trying to, but they're not paying any attention. They're just laughing and singing. Why don't you just sing along with them, sister? I can't. I don't know the song. <laughs> That concludes this week's production of The Zero Hour. Stanton Forbes, If Two of Them Are Dead. Next week, we'll begin another exciting dramatization of a tale of mystery and suspense. We'll tell our story in five days, at the same time, Monday through Friday. So on Monday, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Stanton Forbes, If Two of Them Are Dead, was adapted for radio by Shirley Gordon. Earl Holloman was Joe John. Catherine Burns was Dorcas. And Nina Fosh was Sister Love. Featured in the cast was Elvia Allman as Bessie. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is executive producer. Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. And Kim Weiskopf, story editor. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in Monday and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour.